Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. In our, in our society today, one of the things that I see that I'm troubled about is the fact that everybody tries to make God just like them. He is so absolutely fantastic that our finite minds cannot wrap our brains about it. We hope you find this message encouraging. What does God want me to do? What is it that he requires of me? Well, first of all, it says that uh, in Deuteronomy's text that we read, it says that we should fear the Lord. So should we cow down in fear and hide from God? There's a big difference between what we use as the word fear. We tend to think of it as, oh my goodness. We're just, we're, we're just scared, we're trembling, we're cowardly, we're, we're, we're shaking in our boots. That's not what this word means. It was in the garden whenever Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, and what happened? They suddenly realized, we've messed up, we have sinned, and what did they do? They hid from God. Why? Because they were fearful. This is God who created them, God who, according to the word, came down and walked with them in the cool of the evenings. And all of a sudden, they realized that they had sinned and they were fearful. They went and hid themselves. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about here. The kind of fear here is to reverence him, to to be in in the mindset of, God, you are awesome. You are totally out there, I mean, over the top, off the chain, whatever word you want to affix to it. God, I just stand here and I am awestruck in your presence. To honor him, to respect him in every way, and not trembling, not scared of him, but looking at God and who he is and what he's done and what he's got planned. And to say, God, you are absolutely blowing my mind. As the young kids today would say, he is lit. Amen? And and you all know, they're all laughing back there because they know what that means. So here's the thing, that that when we are in the presence of God, sometimes in, in our society today, one of the things that I see that I'm troubled about is the fact that everybody tries to make God just like them. That he's limited, that he's, that he's not the God of creation, that he's all these things that we know, according to his word, he is so awesome that we can't even fathom the idea. He is so absolutely fantastic that our finite minds cannot wrap our brains about it. It would be like an ant on the ground trying to look up at us and figure out just exactly who we were and what we could do. Sometimes we need to be, we need to be awestruck. We need to realize that at a very word, he said, let there be, and it was. That even his words are more powerful than anything we can imagine. And that that word became flesh. And as the contemporary English version puts it, and I love this translation on this part alone, pretty basically. But it said, he became human and he moved into our neighborhood. 
the God of all creation, the God that said, let there be, and it was, became human and moved into our neighborhood. What an awesome, awesome thing. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, and he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, not a fear, again, of trembling and cowardice and, and just feeling like we don't have any connection there. He said, God did not give you a spirit of fear. That's timidity and fearfulness and cowardice is that word. But he gave us a, a, a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That we, according to Paul, can have the mind of Christ. That we can think his thoughts. That God is a creative God and he made us as creative beings. And therefore, we can have creative thoughts that go beyond anything that, come, that comes from us. I often pray, Lord, give me wisdom that goes beyond anything I've ever read in a book or, or learned in my own. God, you know it all. You created it all. And he is able to give us that understanding, that wisdom. We, we need to know how great he is. It's really and truly this fear of the Lord is about that moment whenever you come to the realization of how great God is and how small you are and I am. We live in a world, as of the latest figures, 7,530,103,737 people. So you and I live with 7,530,103,736 other human beings that are alive on earth at this very moment. That's not counting all the people that came before us. That's not counting anybody that's going to come ahead of us. 7,530,103,736 other people that occupied this orb that we call earth. This orb that we call earth, science tells us, rotates around the sun. We're one of eight other planets that rotate that same star that we call the sun. The sun is one of at least 200 billion, bu 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 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. And the Milky Way is one of an estimated 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Do you feel small? I don't know about you, I do. Sometimes we need to just take into consideration what an awesome God we serve. Amen. He's, it's worth a hand clap. Give him a big one. Amen. And do you realize that these 200 trillion galaxies in the known visible universe that we can see and we're limited in what we can see, some people say it was created with a big bang. And I agree, God said bang, and it was, <laughs> amen. If you need a big bang to believe it, then believe that, amen, because that's what the word tells us. In one moment, he said, let there be, and it was. Can you imagine? 
I have sometimes laid awake at night and thinking, what was it like before God said, let there be? Was it just totally dark? Was it just like a blank sheet of paper? Doesn't matter. And it's not one of those things I've heard people say, well, when I get to heaven, I've got a big list of questions for God. No, you won't. You may have a list here, but when you get to heaven, it ain't going to matter. Because the minute you see him, you are going to fall down before him and you are going to worship. Angie asked me one time, she said, what's the, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to heaven? And I said, I don't know. I think I'm going to give Jesus a big bear hug. I mean, just I'm going to squeeze the stuff it out of him because he has done so much for me. And then I, I thought for a minute, I said, no, I don't think I'll be able to do that. Because I think when we see him and how magnificent he is, and when we realize on this earth how infinitesimally small we are. Anybody else want to try infinitesimally? Okay, didn't think so. How small we are. It makes God's love for us so much more special. You know, there's a big thing going around on the internet. I'm second. Some of you have seen that, talking about how God's first and I'm second. I don't even know if I'm second. 700 billion, 530 million, 737,000 people. And God takes it a moment when we pray to hear our prayer. To come alongside us through the power of the Holy Spirit whenever we are brokenhearted. I don't know about you, it blows me away to realize how big he is. Not a fear as in trembling and, ooh, I just dread his presence. It is a fear of, God, you are so totally awesome. Just blows my mind. So first he says, fear God. Second thing that he says is live in a way that pleases him. Do the things he's asking us to do. Do the things that he says, do this and don't do this. Now, people tend to want to make Christianity a big list of don'ts. It is a big list of do's. All the things that I can do through Christ. Why? Because he strengthens me. I'm able to do abundantly and above. Amen? Because of him, because of what he does in my life. And so the thing that we've got to do is, if you've got a King James or a New King James version, it says walk in all his ways. In other words, do everything that he tells us to do. Now, sometimes we view that as God's limiting us. He doesn't want us to have what he has or have everything that we can. No, no, no. He wants you to stay out of trouble. How many of you ever told your kids, don't eat a bunch of chocolate cake until after supper? Why? Because we know they'll get sick. Don't eat all that Halloween candy at one time. Why? Because we know it's not good for them. Don't touch that hot stove. Why? Because they're going to get burned. If you look at everything that God says don't do, it's not that he's limiting us. It's that he does not want us to get broken hearted or physically maimed, or some, he's always working on our behalf, always working toward our good, so it's always that he wants something good for us. You know, it's like I've said before, 
Sometimes we settle for, for the good when God's got gooder. We need to always be looking for the good or the best that God has for us. Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this, and he says that he is praying that this church, all these Christians, would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that they would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that they can walk worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Live in a way that pleases him. In other words, that we've got to dedicate our lives to doing what he has called us to do. He's called us to do a very few things. We looked at it right there. It's very, very simple. It's very, very easy. And sometimes we just want to straddle the fence. We want to keep doing everything that we were doing before, but we want God operating in our life to the fullest extent that there is. And his whole thing is just stop. Stop doing what's wrong. Do what's right. Love justice. Okay? That's what he says in that other scripture that we read. To love justice. To love doing good. To love goodness and kindness and all those things that he has given us the opportunity to have multiplied beyond what we can do through the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, it tells us that, that that's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that whenever the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, that we have been empowered, not only for the gifts of the Spirit, and that's faith and healing and wisdom and all that stuff that goes with that, but also that we can have peace and joy and love and goodness and kindness and all those other things that are a byproduct of us having the Holy Spirit within us. Do the things, live in a way that would please Him. In other words, don't do the things that would displease Him. It's like I heard a story about this one time and somebody, they, they were, uh, ran a stop sign they, and the policeman gets out and he just whips out his baton and he goes to whooping on them. I said, man, what are you doing? All I did was, I, I did a slow and go. And, and the policeman says, well, what did the sign say to do? It was stop. So he whips out that baton again, and he whips on his head a little more, and he says, okay, do you want me to slow down, or do you want me to stop? When God says, stop sinning, and he said, the woman, what do you want me to do? Go and sin no more. Stop sinning. We know it's wrong. We know that it's against God. And sometimes we get this idea in our mind, we're going to get by with it. Ecclesiastes, one, one scripture that just comes over and over and over to my mind. Because sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, it becomes set in the heart of man to do evil. In other words, we did something wrong, and because there wasn't a lightning bolt came down and lit us up, it becomes set in our hearts to do those things that are against God. And God says, just simply live in a way that would please me. That's all we got to do. It's not hard. It's not tough. He goes on and he over 50 times in this Bible, it tells us that we should obey God. Deuteronomy chapter 11 gives us a reason why. It says if we obey God, we'll be blessed. And if we don't obey him, we will live under a curse. I've talked about that many, many times. We, sometimes we understand the curse better than we do blessings. Jesus said this, if you love me, it's John chapter 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. Enough said. Number three, 
Got to love him. Jesus, it was one of, the, one of the Pharisees trying to trick him. And he says, in Matthew 22, he said, uh, Master, would you tell us what is the most important command? Realizing that there are ten commandments, but at this time there were also lots of extra commandments given. Very, very numerous. And he said, could you just tell us, and he he was just trying to trick him. He was trying to get him to say something that they could condemn him with. And he said, could you tell us what is the most important commandment? And Jesus didn't miss a lick. He said, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is very like it. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two commandments. Let me get to where I need to be in my Bible here. These two commandments sum everything in between my thumb and my finger. It's the Reader's Digest condensed version. Cliff Notes. What's the Sparks Notes? I think is the new one. If you're having trouble passing the test, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. On this hang all the law and the prophets. Everything in this Bible that's between my thumb and my finger is summed up in that one statement that Jesus made. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. See? He wants us to pass the test. He's given us the Reader's Digest, Condensed Version, Sparks Notes, Cliff Notes, whatever version of it that you had whenever you were in school. He's given us the answers to the test, given us the short version so that we can memorize it. And he says, I just simply want you to love me enough that you're going to obey everything that I tell you. Again, John chapter 14, and we just, just went through it, but John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, Obey my commandments. Now that, that love comes from him first. It says herein is the love of God expressed in that while we were yet sinners, he loved us and gave himself for us. So our response to his love ought to be that we love him back. Amen? Easy enough. We've talked about that a bunch. And then finally, to serve him. Now this is interesting This word here in the original language means to labor for, to be subject to, to be a worshiper of, and can even be led into being a minister to. Now here we tend to think about ministers as a preacher, but ministering to somebody is serving them, helping them. And we read in Romans chapter 12, this one thing, as we talked about it, and I read, as we read through it, it says, um, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. If you've got a King James or a New King James, remember I mentioned this earlier. This is your reasonable service. Sometimes we, we look at service in this day and time as kind of a bad word. Okay, it's not politically correct to say you're serving somebody. And so 
the thing that I want to get to is that that's why we call it. The fact is, you, you can even, in, in Romans chapter 12, that word, if you look it up in the original language, it means service rendered for hire. You and I have been bought with a price. Whenever I went to Ephesus several years ago now, they had uh, many, many earthquakes had basically wrecked the city and the harbor because they had, they had uh, kind of diverged two rivers together. And then one of them was really silty, and it filled up the harbor. So Ephesus, that was a harbor town, is now a couple of miles from the harbor. So it's an abandoned site. It's just one of these historical sites. And they have rebuilt part of this to kind of give you an idea of what it looks like. They have... Uh, several earthquakes had hit, so they had to excavate several tons of material out of the way. But you can kind of get the idea of how big the city was, what the, what the stadium and the theater and all that looked like. And one of the things that uh, was there kind of in the, in the courtyard, the, the city square, I guess you'd say, was there was this wonderful, wonderful marble two-arched gate. It wouldn't by any means, fit in this room. And the people, that, the two guys that built that, built it in honor of the person who had bought them out of their slavery. He saw them, just felt like it was the thing to do. He bought them on the auction block for the slaves and freed them. And these two guys went on to be successful. And as they pondered what had happened to them and the avenues that God had taken them down, they built this huge memorial to the one who had freed them, who had purchased their price, purchased their slavery. And I thought about that as as I stood there and looked at that. How often do we overlook that God bought us out of slavery? Not with mere money, but with the precious blood of his own son. Again, blows my mind. How much, how deep, how wide, how absolutely unfathomable is God's love. And to the extremes that he would go to to reach us. You think about your salvation experience. What did God have to put together for you to come to the knowledge of him? I think about my own life. I've shared my testimony so much here that you guys probably know it as well as I do. But I was an adult. Statistically, that don't happen. Statistically, if you are not a believer by the time you are age 19... It's probably not going to happen. If you aren't raised in a home that's a Christian home, and if you haven't made that decision before you reach age 19, for most people, it don't happen. And I realized all the things that God had to put together, I was 24. And for, for me to not been raised in church, not, not having that experience, not... Not coming into this thing, having cut my teeth on a pew. All the things that God had to put together for me to end up where I'm at, absolutely fantastic. In the same way with you. 
All the things that had to happen for you to come to the knowledge of him. And we take it for granted. We don't stop and think about it. So all he says is, I want you to serve me. I want you to render service for hire. In other words, he bought us with a price. Now we ought to serve him. Again, we use that, in, that term for military. Somebody's in the service. Why? Because they have basically given themselves over for working for hire. We, we even sometimes, and this is kind of falling out of, out of vogue, I guess you'd say, but we have a church service. Why? Because that's time that we ought to dedicate to God. Not just an hour or so every week, but we ought to be there every day. Like I heard about one time, there was a preacher, and every now and then, just, just on rare occasions, usually Christmas and Easter, he would see this young man come into church, and he'd sit through the service, and he would always try to catch him, and he never was able to. And so one, one service, the guy comes in, kind of slips in a little late, sits on the back row, and the preacher has somebody else dismiss in prayer. And he meets him at the back door, and he says, Son, he said, the Lord could really use somebody like you in the service, in his service. And that guy said, oh, I'm already in the service. He said, oh, really? He said, well, how come I only see you here on Christmas and Easter? And that guy said, I'm in the secret service. (laughs) And you know, here's the thing. Sometimes we live our lives being in the secret service. We don't talk about the Lord. We don't talk about our salvation experience. It's the very thing that we're supposed to do. Our testimony can change somebody's life. But if we're in the secret service and nobody knows we're a Christian, heard it put this way one time. If you were drug into court, if the situation was different like it used to be back in some of the early church times, if you were drug into court and accused of being a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Have you talked to enough people about who you love? Have you talked to enough people about how it changed your life? Have you talked about your salvation experience enough that everybody around you would point a finger and say, yep, they're one of those? Or are you in the secret service? Because I'm telling you, this is not a day and a time when, the God, when God's looking for people in the secret service. He's looking for a bunch of green berets, special ops, to be involved in the kingdom, amen, and to get in there. And it don't matter who's listening or how much they want to convict you or anything else, that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation, unto them that believe. Somebody say Amen. So it's very, very, very simple. What does God want me to do? What does God require of me? And that word means he's begging, he's asking of you. What does God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him, love him, and serve him with all your heart and soul.